The week is almost over, so pour that coffee. And let's discuss what's going on in Milwaukee, Madison, Washington, and beyond. It's the Political Power Hour on WTMJ Now. Joining Steve Scafidi, here's Joe Sapecki and Bill McCaution. Should we talk about the government? And welcome, everybody, a special snowy edition. And this is the first time in a long time that both Joseph Hecke, Democratic strategist Bill McCosh, and the Republican side of the aisle, we're all working remote today, so it's going to be a little trickier. But we've got a lot of things to talk about. And just a, a show note, we will keep you posted on the uh, certainly the weather emergency that's going to happen today. There's a lot of snow. It took me about twice as long to get to work today. And with the snow and the wind, uh, my advice from a non-meteorologist perspective is, Stay home if you don't absolutely have to go somewhere. So good morning to Joe Zapecki. Good morning. And Bill McCaution. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Joe. And did I understand, Bill McCaution, that you are celebrating a birthday? Well, yesterday, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is my last uh, trip around the sun in the 50s. All right. You look you so, look damn good for a guy that's almost 60 years old. Can I say that out loud? <laughs> I just did. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, so gentlemen, we had a debate this week. We had a town hall. We had the Chris Christie announcement. I'll start with you, Bill, since a lot of that focuses on the Republican side of the aisle. What what did we glean or what did we understand today that we didn't maybe understand on Monday? Yeah, I think the Christie move is the most significant of the week because that has the potential to impact not Iowa necessarily, and probably unlikely he would impact Iowa, but he definitely could impact uh, New Hampshire. He has said he will not support any candidate that uh, doesn't um, say that Donald Trump should not be the president and, you know, say without question they won't be his running mate. Uh, That's impacting Haley to a point, but all of her, his voters or two thirds of his voters say that she's their second choice. So the likelihood is him getting out of the race will help Haley in New Hampshire and give her an opportunity to win New Hampshire, which is extraordinary. I mean, there are some new polls out uh, this week from the Boston Globe that still show Trump up 20 points in uh, New Hampshire, but there are others by the University of New Hampshire that show it within slightly outside the margin of error, six or seven points. Um, Christie was polling at 12%. So if, if two thirds of his go her way, um, there's a chance that she could pull even or even potentially sneak out a win in New Hampshire, which would be the first time we've had sort of a game changer in the dynamic of this race. So I, I think that of all the things that happened this week, that's the biggest. And Joe, you, you, you and Bill have been tracking politics for a long time. I, I've been thinking about this, especially in respect to the weather we're having here in Wisconsin today. There's going to be some pretty crazy weather in Iowa. Do you think any yeah. of those weather conditions could impact results, or is, or is that not a not a situation we should be paying attention to? I, I do think the weather in Iowa on Monday is going to be a factor. The same polar vortex, low single-digit air temperature that we're going to be dealing with here, they're going to be dealing with there. And there's just no question that that's going to – mean fewer people go out to their location and fill out their caucus card. And so the question becomes, and what we might get a better read on, is we have assumed all of the enthusiasm within the Republican Party 
is there for Trump, that ultra MAGA wing, that third of the Republican Party that is never going to abandon him. The question we may get more insight into is, are we right about that? Or is more of the enthusiasm in the stop Trump, anyone but Trump lane? It's, I would not say it's a never Trump uh, part of the party. There's just not enough Republicans who, who are never Trump to have that matter. But enthusiasm and, and the strength of your conviction can get you through a snowstorm, can get you through you know, freezing cold temperatures. So I think it's possible that with fewer voters participating on Monday, just because of the weather, the results could be a little bit off from some of the polling. And in which direction that turns out to be could give us some clues about where we're going. Now, that said, I have a hard time believing Trump is going to win by anything less than 15 points in Iowa. And if he does that and then turns around and also wins New Hampshire by any amount, I think this thing's over. I'd be curious what Bill's take on that is. I know you guys are the Nikki Haley fanboys and and good on you. But if, if Trump goes two for two, is this thing over? Bill? Yeah, I think it is. So I think the snow is more likely to impact turnout on Monday than the cold because all these caucuses are held indoors. So uh, will a little, little old lady go out in the cold to cast her ballot if she's passionate about it? Yeah. Will she go out in 10, ten inches of snow? Probably not. So there, there is a possibility for the weather to be a factor here. I think Joe's over under on Trump in Iowa is probably fair. 15. Most polls have him somewhere between 20 and 35 points up. Uh, but as we talked about last week, this is really all about expectations. If he doesn't hit 15 or above, did he meet expectations? No, he didn't. If Nikki Haley comes in second, which the Suffolk poll yesterday said she's now in in Iowa. By the way, I, I, I'm not sure I believe that. But if she does, she exceeds expectations. And she gets momentum out of Iowa, much more so than Trump, winning by 15, 18, 20 points. And that propels her into New Hampshire. If DeSantis does, in fact, come in third, there's really no clear path for him anywhere after that because he, he was in fourth place in New Hampshire. He was in fourth place in uh, South Carolina, and he was in third place in Nevada, which are the next three caucus or, or primary states. So I, I think for DeSantis, he has to come in a close second to keep this thing going. And if, and if he doesn't, he will not hit expectations, and I think that that's probably the end of his campaign. Let's take a break here. Bill McCoshin, Republican strategist, Joe Zapecki, Democratic strategist. We all watched the debate on, uh, I think it was Wednesday. Was it Wednesday, Tuesday? When was that debate this week, guys? Wednesday. Wednesday night. Wednesday. Um, that's the two candidates that are trying to uh, wrangle the nomination from Donald Trump. We'll get your thoughts about what you saw. There was a lot of back and forth, certainly an engaging debate. We'll discuss that and more with the Political Power Hour guest, as usual, on remote this Friday on WTMJ. Oh, the love for Bill McCoshin is almost 60 years old, but enjoying his uh, birthday weekend, a snowy weekend here in Wisconsin. We'll obviously keep you posted on all the latest traffic and weather updates as we move through the morning and throughout the day here on WTMJ. Uh, I watched the debate on Wednesday night, and one of the things I noticed, um, I'll start with you, Bill, is the um, the two candidates who are trying to, I guess, as I said before, wrangle the nomination from Donald Trump, they certainly went after each other, but 
the part that I guess bothers me, and this is me, and may other Republicans may think differently, is that when they were asked the character question about the moral character of Donald Trump, they both basically didn't go after the former president. Your your thoughts on what that means uh, in the in the race if these two candidates don't seriously challenge Donald Trump? Well, I'm going to go back to something that Joe said in the opening, because I think it's it's relevant to this discussion. So if you just look at the viewership, Donald Trump was on Fox at the same time with Brett Baer and Martha McCallum. DeSantis and Haley were debating on CNN with Jake Tapper and Dana Bash. And uh, Trump got roughly twice as many viewers. But let's let's focus on the 2.8 million people who watched the debate that you and I watched, Steve, which was between Trump and or Haley and DeSantis. Those that group includes a significant number of two time Trump voters. These aren't never Trumpers. Joe made this point and it's it's relevant. These are people that are looking to move on from Trump and things they didn't like about uh, his administration or him personally or maybe a combination thereof. So. Uh, the challenge for Trump, if he ultimately is the nominee, is finding a way to bring those people back. He won't be able to bully them back. That, that, that'll have the opposite effect, in my opinion. Uh, the debate itself was a little hard to watch because it, they were just landing body blows, uh, one after the other, both sides. I mean, the good news is both Haley and DeSantis can give and take a heavy blow. Uh, the bad news is Trump wasn't on the stage, so I don't know that either one of them uh, really stood out, at least not to me. Some post-debate polling had DeSantis winning it in the viewers' minds, you know, 55 to 33, I think. I thought it was closer than that. But, um, you know, the reality is without Donald Trump on the stage, I don't know that either one of them moved the needle. So uh, for them to, to be a legitimate challenger to him, they have to be compared to him, which means they got to be standing on the stage with him. Joe, you're a Democrat. What do you think watching that debate? Well, Mark Leibovich of The Atlantic the other day, I heard him on a podcast, pointed out, he reminded me that there was a time in this country when the March Madness, you know, the NCAA Final Four tournament, that there was a consolation game. And that there used to be like a consolation game in football between the conference championship teams that, that lost and didn't go to the Super Bowl. And DeSantis v. Haley just it kind of felt like that it felt small neither one of them you know between the haymakers they were throwing at one another really found a way to elevate themselves and make the moment and their candidacy seem bigger than it is I mean like let's just call this what it is this is really, really weird, strange, odd. If we weren't on public air, I'd be using more loaded terms. There's a candidate who is a twice impeached you know, a criminal defendant facing 91 indictments in a variety of courtrooms across this country, who is a former president and the leading candidate for a major party nomination, and he refuses to debate his opponents, and most of his opponents refuse to directly take him on. Let's just understand how bizarre that is three days before the Iowa caucuses. You know, that's a great point, Joe. And, Bill, I, I would say the way they answered the question that I referred to earlier suggests that Trump won't have to work hard to get them in his camp if he blows them away in these early primaries. I think that 
It's just going to happen. I, now, I will tell you, someone who hosts a radio show, I am getting more requests from spokespeople, representatives, strategist folks who work for Haley and DeSantis than I've had in the entire race so far. So there is certainly a desire to get their messaging out, even in places like Wisconsin, which isn't going to matter for a while. There is there is a lot going on, but it doesn't matter if they can't get through the first few primaries. No, I think that's right. And both of the things that Joe pointed out work to Trump's advantage, right? He's not taking hits from them directly. A town hall is far easier than a debate. It's generally friendly. I think if Haley and DeSantis missed an opportunity the other night, it was being more personable, maybe adding a little bit of humor. Uh, You know, the likability factor was a little hard on Wednesday night because they were hammering each other so hard. Uh, and, and at some point you want to, you want to have that moment. And, and a lot of times that moment comes with humor. It comes with like ability, you know, w- w- where you stand out and people say, okay, I really like that person. I can see myself voting for that. I didn't, I didn't have that impression on Wednesday night. Uh, you know, I haven't made a final choice, even though Joe's got me in one of the camps, but it's, uh, I'm watching the process play itself out. And so far Trump has played it masterfully and, you know, as well on his way to the nomination. Uh, Chris Christie made a I'm getting out of the race speech. I, I, I said on social media, I thought it was one of the best speeches I've ever heard. And, and you know, you can look at his his uh, term in, in, in the governor's spot, you know, Bridgegate and all those things. And, and also, you know, he, this is a guy that was an ally of Donald Trump for a while. So you can you can consider that stuff. But I thought it was a message that had to be said. Now, if it resonates with Republican voters, that has to be determined. That has to be seen with actual votes. But I thought it was something that needed to be said. And I thought he did a very good job with his speech. Um, I was beaten up by hardline conservatives for saying those words that I thought was a great speech. As somebody who works with Republicans, talks about Republican politics, is a diehard conservative, Bill, what do you make of the Christie speech? I don't know anyone in Wisconsin who was for him. Doesn't mean there weren't people. His speech did, his words, his message resonated with 12% of New Hampshire, which put him in third place. Uh, ahead of DeSantis and but behind Haley. So there is a market for what he's saying, but it's a market that's not big enough to win a GOP primary. So then then the question becomes, and this was out in the national media yesterday, that the no labels party is now trying to recruit him to be one of the two ticket members for the no labels party, because, you know, they they would like him to be anti-Trump. I don't know that Chris Christie would ever do that. But if he wanted to continue this message, you know, he, he basically said there's he'll do everything he can to prevent Donald Trump from being the nominee. I don't know what he can do to to do that other than potentially getting in the race as a third party candidate. It's to me, it's indicative of a problem that Trump will have in the general election. There's there's people like him and others, very high profile Republicans will absolutely not vote for Donald Trump. That's almost a recipe for failure, and I don't know how you overcome that. Joe, you're a Democrat, but your thoughts on Chris Christie and his uh, closing comments in this race? Well, it was a remarkable piece of political communication, full stop. It was also from a flawed messenger. But I do think what we should try to do is separate the polling and the numbers and the, the who's up, who's down, was he resident? Was he the right candidate at the right time? Separate that from how important it is that he said the things he said, which is that the founders of this country 
your Benjamin Franklins and George Washingtons and James Madisons would be beside themselves that someone like Donald Trump was a leading candidate to be president of the United States. And the scenario he laid out where people ask Christie on the trail all the time, how come there isn't a law about not being able to run for president if you're facing 91 federal criminal indictments? And the answer Christie gave is the right one. The founders didn't make a mistake. They didn't think that we, the people, would ever countenance anyone like Donald Trump, who behaves the way he does, who isn't even disputing the actions that he has been charged for. He is just saying that because of the role he had as president, they're not crimes, that the founders could never have have contemplated a scenario where we, the people, would decide that someone like that should lead this country. And so the question that we, the people, have to answer in the next 10 months is, are we who the founders hoped that we were? Or have we fallen so far that we may really return someone who, as Christie pointed out, will choose himself over the people of this country every single time and return him to a position of power? And so I don't care whether he had 12 percent support or 112 percent support. That was an important message for someone to say. And I'm sure it reached beyond the support he already had in New Hampshire. He is Joseph Pecky, Bill McCoshin. Join us the Political Power Hour. It's a great segue to our next conversation. Are they court cases involving the former president, or are they campaign stops? We will discuss after this on WTMJ. Well, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Oh, I sense a theme. Bill, happy birthday, Bill McCoshin. Yesterday, Bill McCoshin, Republican strategist, Joseph Pecky, on the Demo- Democrat side of the aisle. Um, gentlemen, Donald Trump is facing... Multiple indictments in places like New York, Georgia, Florida, Manhattan, and Washington, D.C. I ask this question in all seriousness. It seems to me that the former president, he understands, hopefully, the seriousness of these cases, but he's actually looking at these these appearances, and he certainly made a statement that was shut down by a judge this week, um, as campaign stops. And if he can't go on the road, he'll just do it in the in the form of speaking out loud either during the trials or after he leaves the courtrooms? Uh, what do you think, Bill? Well, um, listen, he, 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 the first 51 years of my life, anyone facing the amount of charges that Donald Trump is facing would have instantly been eliminated from con- serious consideration in any presidential race. But, you know, he, he has changed the paradigm of what our politics looks like. And to the point where, each time he goes to court, he does make it a campaign stop. And frankly, it works for him. And let's not forget, when Democrats tried to recall Scott Walker in 2011, his, he got a higher percentage and 100,000 more votes in the recall than he had gotten in 2010 uh, when he beat Tom Barrett the first time. So voters are sympathetic to this notion of unfair attacks. And Donald Trump has framed this as it's an unfair tra- attack being directed by uh, Joe Biden and his Department of Justice, and it's it's politically motivated to try and interfere with the election. Whether the three of us or some of your listeners agree with that assessment or not, he's been able to cement that narrative with his with his hardcore supporters. And so every time he goes out there and says, "I'm being un- unfairly attacked again," 
there's a significant number of Republicans who believe it. Joe, take your Democratic hat off for a second, even though you're a Democratic strategist. I mean, it's not a bad strategy. If you you can't make it on the road, just take your uh, campaign stop to the courtroom. It's the only strategy. Of course he has to do this. And and I'll leave my strategist hat off and say the the risk that he runs and the challenge that that strategy faces was on full display this week, which is that we are reaching a point in some of these appeals and hearings where now the judges get to ask the hard questions. Okay, and so the validity of the strategy Trump in that narrative he's pushing runs squarely into the audio track we now have of Donald Trump's lawyer suggesting that if a president of the United States ordered SEAL Team 6 to kill a political rival, that that would not be subject to criminal penalty in this country unless the United States Senate impeached that person first. That is now audio that exists. That's a conversation that had to happen in an American court of law because of the absurdity of Donald Trump's behavior. And I mean, like, again, just as an American, that's nuts, folks. By that same logic, the current president of the United States could have SEAL Team 6 do that to a political rival and then six SEAL Team 6 on whichever United States senators were threatening to impeach them. That is insane, and that is the problem with a political strategy born of, well, gosh, I did all these crimey crimes. What am I supposed to do now other than try to delay for long enough that I get reinstated as president and can pardon myself? The only thing he can do is sing hazanas to his base from the steps of courthouses up and down the eastern seaboard. This is insane, folks. I think absurd was the right uh, right word that you used there. Bill, I only got about a minute before the break, but look, this this is the moment, I think, where Republicans, and again, I can tell by the, 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 the fury of, of uh, emails and requests that I get, this is the moment where Republicans and, and some Republicans and conservatives are saying, you know what, let's not do this. But I can tell you, as we talk about this, more and more people are saying, at least on the text line, and take it for what it's worth, Donald Trump's being prosecuted and persecuted we're not putting up with it. You will not tell us who our candidate's going to be. That's what I hear. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I mean, the reality is these things, whether they're uh, real or imagined, uh, have made him stronger. We've never seen anything like this in any of our lifetimes. I think it is unique to him. Uh, you know, I, I can make an argument that Biden's seen some of the same benefits, uh, at least as it relates to his son. But we are in a paradigm where, you know, what happened in the past doesn't necessarily matter. We want the guy who's going to fight and we don't want him. We want it to be fair. We don't want him to be mistreated. And, uh, you know, all of this has made Trump stronger in 23 leading into 24 than anyone could have imagined. A year ago, last November, November of 22, Ron DeSantis was winning uh, the national polls. And, And now he's He's way behind in most states. He's close in Iowa, but but that's about it. So it's 
these all of these indictments have, have given Donald Trump earned media to define a narrative that the little guy responds to. This isn't fair. I'm being unfairly attacked and it really isn't about me. They're coming for you. And that, and a lot of Republican voter, voters agree with that. Great point. And I think if you look at the uh, the Donald Trump phenomena, if that's what you want to call it, he understands his voters better than anyone else does. We'll take a break here. Bill McCaution, Joseph Becky, the political power hour on a snowy Friday on WTMJ. Boy, Bill's getting more love than the day after his birthday. They got on his birthday. My goodness. Bill McCaution, Republican strategist, Joseph Becky, joining us remotely today because of the weather and uh, my advice is if you don't have to go out, absolutely have to go go out, stay home, keep your driveway clean, and uh, probably do it more than once. All right, gentlemen, I, I, w- I always want to talk about issues, right? The, we, we were talking about some general topics related to the election. But I'm going to ask Joe first, and then I'll ask Bill a, a, a question related to uh, the leader on the Republican side, Donald Trump. But, but this one, I get a lot of feedback on, Joe, and I want to get your thoughts on it. Does Joe Biden, current president, the presumptive nominee for the nomination for Democrats for 2024. Does he have a border problem? He does. And he's trying to solve it. And that's the way this is supposed to work. That if you, you know, you get pressured from the public and the public demands change, you do something about it, which is why the White House is working with negotiators on Capitol Hill to try and get a deal to secure the border, add agents, do something about what's happening at the southern border. Now, that's what's supposed to happen. What's not supposed to happen is Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson saying he's making good progress in torpedoing the deal, that he doesn't want there to be a deal. And that's running up against the likes of Republican Senator Mitch McConnell, who is saying, if we don't get a deal on the border now, if we don't get this done, it's not going to happen. And I know it is easy to demagogue on this issue, but the two of you and I have been paying attention long enough to know that there were moments in the Obama administration and the Bush administration when there could have been an actual bill, a new law that changed the way the border operated. And some politicians, and because it was both a Democratic president and a Republican president this happened under, it was both sides, decided they would rather have the political issue than solve the problem. Right now, today, Joe Biden is trying to solve the challenge, and he has folks like Mitch McConnell, very conservative, very different politics, who are trying to get there with him. But you have people like Ron Johnson making an actual solution harder, and that is a shame. Bill, you can react to that, but I also want to ask you if Donald Trump, the leader on the Republican side, has a economy, and this is my term, economy too good problem. I say no to your question. Uh, I, most voters still view this economy negatively. Uh, you know, two-thirds of them think that country's headed in the wrong direction. Biden's approval number on the economy is in the 30s. His approval number on inflation is in the high 20s on some polls, low 30s on others. So, uh to the extent there's been a disconnect with voters on uh, what is going on in the economy and whether uh, and whether or not that benefits them, whether they're seeing any impact from that. That could change over six months. I want to be really clear about that. Six months, not, you know, until the conventions is a very long time, and that could improve for Biden for sure. Uh, but on the, on the border issue, yeah, I think Biden's got a huge problem here, and I'm not sure 
Uh, I think this is the one time in history where Republicans might be able to get the strongest deal possible. Whether or not you can keep the Republicans in Congress together to get that deal or they get something far less than that and call it a great deal, you know, that's what I'm concerned about as a Republican. I think there is an opportunity to sort of pin down Democrats and get a win out of this. And frankly, if it's the only thing they get in 2024, it would be significant. But I'm not sure that's how they're thinking. I mean, the budget deal that Mike Johnson, the new speaker, cut with uh, with the Senate last week probably spent more money than Kevin McCarthy would have ever spent. And it certainly spends more than Nancy Pelosi has ever spent. So uh, while I want Mike Johnson to succeed, I think his first uh, bipartisan deal with with the Senate was a failure. I, I don't view it as a success, but they do have an opportunity to get something significant done on the border if they do. That could benefit Biden as well. There's just no question about that. That's how politics works. If the border is sealed off by sometime this summer, Biden will be able to say that he signed that deal. Uh, that's politics, right? Polit- but if you want to get it done, this is the time. Political Power Hour, Bill and Joe will be back with the grab bag after this. It's your birthday. Yes, it is your birthday. Oh, it's Bill McCoshin's birthday. Happy 59 to Bill McCoshin, Republican strategist Joseph Pecky. Not his birthday, but he's uh, he's hanging in there as well, a little under the weather. But he's here because he's always here. And we are certainly under a, a snow storm warning or whatever the official term is. I don't know. It's just it's a lot of snow, a lot of wind. Don't drive if you, if you don't have to. Uh, grab bag is where we're at right now. Joseph Pecky, you're up first. All right. Well, speaking of the snow, one of the unfortunate impacts of today's snowstorm uh, is this is going to severely dampen the celebration of the life well lived of former United States Senator Herb Cole. Senator Cole passed away over the holidays, and uh, the outpouring of support from all of the walks of life in which he traveled, business, philanthropy, politics, community, uh, people with stories, uh, and, and really I think everybody, particularly in Milwaukee, has a story about just encountering the senator along the way and what a wonderful special kind gentle and decent man herb cole was um and so to those who are hoping to celebrate him today find a way to do so in emulating some of the way that he lived and i think the most important way that he lived in regards to our politics these days is that herb cole was not a politician who was ever looking to get the snappy sound bite or say, look at me or make it about himself. He was unassuming and humble and we need more leaders like Herb Cole these days. Uh, we miss you, Senator, uh, rest in peace, rest in power. And, uh, we know that his memory will bring smiles to people's faces for generations to come. Very nice. Bill McCaution. Yes. I'll second that motion. That was great, Joe. So mine is, directed at voters in the 63rd Assembly District, which is occupied by the Assembly Speaker Robin Voss. This week, a small group of uh, Voss haters decided to take out a recall petition against the Speaker. These folks call themselves Republicans. They call themselves uh, conservatives. For any Republican listening in the second or the 63rd Assembly District, this is a mistake. It is destructive. When we have a circular fighting squad, all the advantage goes to Democrats. All 99 assembly seats will be up in under new maps this year, and half of the Senate will be up under new maps. 
We have a Democratic incumbent U.S. senator at the top of the ticket and a presidential election. The last thing Republicans need to do for the next six months is waste time and money defending the Speaker of the Assembly. Do not sign the recall petition in the 63rd District. It's stupid. Uh, it's self-destructive. And it's time to focus on Democrats, not Republicans. Could not agree more. Gentlemen, mine is the Green Bay Packers. So you are playing a playoff game against our old coach and a dreaded rival for many, many decades. We'll go to you first, Joe. What is your prediction for Sunday's battle with the Cowboys? Uh, This season is already a success, and I will believe that even after we fall short against the Cowboys. I just don't think we're there yet, but the fact that this club is going to get playoff experience is a big win going forward. All right. Bill? It's a bonus game. Anything that happened just playing is uh, was never expected at the beginning of the year. I got the Packers in an upset on Sunday. Ooh, Ooh Bill's right. Birthday uh, boy's getting feeling <laughs> his out. There you go. Well, from your mouth to uh, whatever the football gods are, are listening to today, gentlemen, we'll do it again next Friday. The Political Power Hour. Stay safe.